0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you this morning, from God our Father, from Jesus Christ our Savior too. God, please make me more like the unbelievers around me in this world. I I don't know that I've ever prayed that, have you? Uh, What a strange prayer, and yet actually that's what Jesus, not with those words, but he teaches us to look for that in the parable he tells this morning. In Luke chapter 16, it's one of the toughest parables in the Bible because Jesus paints this picture of a total crook, And then he says to me, you and me, you should be like him. And and people say, well, how how in the world am I supposed to be like this guy? Uh, And yet Jesus uses him to teach us about how we use the wealth we have in this world. So if you're not there already, turn back to page 11 for the parable about this dishonest manager. There are two paragraphs on the page. The first one is the parable. second one is Jesus turns to us uh, and applies it to our lives. So first, let's go back to the parable and talk through that again. Starts out, there's a man who's very wealthy, and he's got a manager who rips him off and is not faithful with how he manages possessions. Today, we'd call it white collar crime, right? I don't know if he just fudged the books or how exactly it was, but this manager is in charge of all his stuff. He's his accountant and manager, and he is dishonest. And we find out later, this is not a trumped up charge or anything that's wrong. It, it actually happened, this guy is a crook. So the man, the, the man calls the manager in and says to him, I've heard what you've done, I want you to give an account of everything you've done, you cannot be the manager anymore. And so far you might think, well, I'm identifying with that man, right? The, the rich guy who has to fire the manager? Yeah, you've got to fire him, he's, uh, he's, he's ripping you off. But actually the parable wants you connect with the manager because you go inside his mind next. And this this is a crisis now for him. I lost my job. What am I going to do? If you keep reading, there, he thinks up. Uh, he's got two options now for career tracks. Somebody shout one out. What does he think? I could do this now. I could. You see him there? I could dig or I could beg. Uh, I we take the second one first. Can you imagine? going from your white-collar office job onto the street, and your only support in life is what you're able to beg from others. This man could not imagine that. As far as digging, I don't know how old he was, how much strength he's lost as he got older. I do know that we do a lot of work with machines today that used to be done by hand. They've been burying a gas pipeline on Highway A for like the last, how many weeks? I drive by it every day. Uh, I don't see anybody out there digging the trench with a shovel. This guy says, my two options now in life if I get fired are, I can dig or I can beg. I don't want either of those. So he thinks. What does he have at his disposal that can help him reach his goal? is, I want to have a secure and a comfortable life after I get fired. Uh, what can I do? He, he, he thinks, I've got a little bit of time because of that accounting. He hasn't been fired quite yet. He still has to give the accounting. He's not done today. He's got some time. He also has all the wealth of his his master still at his disposal. It's, for whatever reason, the the rich man did not freeze all his assets. This guy still has access to all of that. And so he says, I know what I'll do. And he calls in all the people who owe his master. Uh, Reading about it, some people wonder if it's like sharecropping. So they're renting out his land and over the course of the next year, they need to bring in this much. So, you need to bring in a thousand bushels of wheat, and he says, sit down and make it, make it 800. 800 gallons of olive oil, that's a lot of olive oil. Sit down, and let's make it 400. And it's genius, isn't it? It's genius. What does he do? He, he calls in his master's debtors. They owe his master, but when they leave that day, they owe, they owe him. That all the people who owe his master now leave with a debt him, and without him asking for, well, can I come live with you next, he's sure that one of those people is going to say, because you were so nice to me, because I owe you one, I will take care of you so you don't have to dig and you don't have to beg. And then the rich master finds out. Uh Uh-oh, right? Most of Jesus' parables have a twist that you wouldn't expect. And in this one, it's the reaction of that, the man who owns everything. He just got ripped off again. <laughs> Maybe even worse than before. And yet, what's his reaction to this dishonest manager? Do you see that there? He actually... He commends him. He doesn't commend him for what he did. What he did was wrong. But the master actually commends the manager for his dishonesty with with a word that's translated as shrewdness. Uh, Other ways you could talk about that, someone who's prudent, someone... The word means to use your brain. This manager looked at his situation. He says, I've got this goal. How can I think through a way to meet the goal with the stuff I have on hand? Uh, We don't know what happened. It's just a parable. It could be very well the master still fired the guy. But he commends him for his shrewdness in how he used what he had to meet his goal and so today I'd ask you two questions first one is what's the goal you've got in life second one is how do you use all the stuff you have in this world to reach that goal Jesus says that actually this isn't something just Christians are good at even people who know nothing about God care nothing about God can be really good at this having a goal in life, and then using everything they have to meet that goal. So I suppose the story about the manager could happen, even in our culture today. But if you look around at our world, do you have some people to mind, in mind who have come to mind as examples of people who used everything really shrewdly and wisely, put their minds to it, and really it paid off with meeting their goal? For me, it's the Forbes 400 list from a week and a half ago. They always update that once a year. 400 richest people in the world, you know who's at the top of the list? Jeff Bezos, right, owner of Amazon. He divorced his wife and went after another woman this year, lost $36 billion in the divorce settlement, but he's still worth $114 billion. (laughs) Did he get there just by chance, or by being lazy or not trying hard? No, you want an example of a businessman who's thrown his whole life into his dream of first a bookstore and now a company that's taken over commerce in our country. Uh, there's an example of a man who had a goal and went after it. Not just business, you look at, who's the, who's the pop star you'd stay, who's, I don't know, you look at Beyonce or Taylor Swift, I don't know who you'd pick, but that doesn't just happen. You see people who throw everything they have into being the most popular pop star in the whole country and some of the time it really pays off. This last week, there were the Nobel Prizes given out. People who invented or discovered something that's just incredible, and they get honored. It's not so much about the prize as being, going down to history as somebody who received a Nobel Prize. That was this week. You can have examples of athletes who give themselves entirely their sport because they have this goal in mind. Government's the same way. People who strive to to be one who's leading and governing. And in all those categories, could you find somebody who is so into their goal that they'll even be corrupt and break the rules to get there? Yeah, Uh, yeah you do. And so Jesus in verse 8, he says actually people of this world who know nothing about him, we're the children of light at the end. There are people in this world who actually are better at reaching their goals than sometimes we are as Christians. Doing whatever it takes because this is what I want in life. Now the point today is not that you should break the rules or be corrupt or rip people off, right? And so as Jesus goes on in that second paragraph, the key question for us is, what is the goal that you're, you're, you're going after in life? And then how do you use what you have to get there? If you'd skim through that second paragraph again, Jesus talks about that and it really culminates in the last verse. Jesus simplifies all of life and says there are two, there are two people you could serve, two things you could serve in your life. Do You see them there? Options are you could serve God or money and money has a capital M on it because it's different than the usual word for money Any of you think back to the King James Version? What was the word there? God or... Mammon, some of you still remember that? The word mammon is an Aramaic word that tries to sum up all the stuff in life, not just money, but all the stuff in life you can't take with you when you die. And it's not always a bad thing. Even in these verses here, mammon is not something necessarily that's bad. It actually shows up in verse 9 and verse 11. There it's translated as worldly wealth. Jesus says that we as believers are going to have mammon too. We're going to have wealth in this world. But the question at the end is, which of these two is going to be at the center of your life? Is it going to be God or is it going to be mammon, money money and stuff? Jesus says you can't serve both of them. People try, but you cannot have this divided allegiance between the two. It's either God or it's money and stuff. And the obvious answer that Jesus is pointing us to is it should be God, right? Now go back to verses 8 and 9 and here's where we're getting at the heart of what Jesus wants to teach us today about how we manage money. Verse 8 says this, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. The difference is in the goal that we have. There are an awful lot of people who would, not even if they don't say it, their goal in life is to serve mammon, to serve money and stuff in this world. And there are people who have realized you can convert all your resources into meeting that goal. So for one person, it's, I want to pile up the biggest pile of money in the world that I can, and then they use everything in their power to reach that goal. Other people say, I want to be really popular. So they pour everything they have into being popular. For some people, it's, you, p- you pick the goal. But there are an awful lot of people who serve mammon in a way where they are completely focused and disciplined and completely zealous for, for meeting that goal. And Jesus says, all too often they show us up as Christians. Because we have a goal too, it's, it's, it's different from that. But when our hearts are divided, Or even, how easy isn't it to to be drawn away from the goal of having God be at the center of our lives and using everything toward him? So in verse 9, here is, if you pick any verse here that's the main point, it's verse 9. Jesus says this to you and me. I tell you, use worldly wealth, and again, that's that word mammon. Use, Use money, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, So that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Let me pick out a couple things from that verse. The first is, Jesus teaches us there's more than just this life. It's not that you die and that's it. There's an eternity coming for us in heaven someday. And he doesn't go into that in detail here. He just calls it eternal dwellings. Makes me think of that passage where Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my Father's house are many rooms, right? I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, and when I come back, I'm going to take you to be with me so that you can be where I am. Then Thomas asks, well, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's a life beyond this one that goes far beyond even the best things we've experienced here. We'll be with God forever. And the Bible says we don't get there because we earn or deserve it. It's because God gives it to us as a gift through faith in Jesus. Because he died on the cross and took away our sins. Because he rose from the dead. Because he is there preparing a place and is going to come back. We've got heaven coming someday. And that changes our perspective because a lot of people in this world don't believe that. Don't live like it's coming. You go backwards a little bit. When that day comes, when I'm going to heaven, all the mammon and stuff of this life, it's going to be done. The way Jesus puts it is, when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The other thing Jesus says is that heaven is not just for you. When you get there, it's not just going to be you and God looking at each other. It's going to be you and a lot of other people that there's, it's possible to have friends who will welcome you into heaven someday. Just like the manager in the parable realized what he needed was a relationship with other people, the Bible tells us too, what you, don't, what you need in life is not a lot of stuff, it's relationships with other people on the way to heaven. And then, going all the way back to the beginning of the verse, Jesus says this, You can use your worldly wealth To create those relationships and those friendships that are going to last forever, looking ahead at heaven. My question for you is, do you believe all that's true? Do you believe that this world is not it? That Jesus Christ has won heaven for you, you're going to go there someday. There are going to be people you meet there where all your stuff's going to pass away, but those relationships can last forever. Do you believe all that? If the answer is yes, then that's going to change the way you look at all the stuff and how you live your life here. The thing that's the same is, you've got a goal. Everybody in life has something that they're, they're striving toward. Your goal as Christians is eternal life in heaven. Mine too. And so the question for you is, how do you use the stuff you have in life to meet that goal? Jesus doesn't give a bunch of examples here. This is one where, for you and me, we need to figure this out in our own lives and in the church. But this is what unbelievers in the world around us have figured out. It's possible to convert your wealth into meeting a different goal. If you're chasing after pleasure in life, can you spend your money to try to get there? Yeah, you can. But that's not us. If our goal is heaven, how do you use the stuff in this world to get there. In a way, we're like that manager in the parable again, right? Because we've got a limited amount of time. Not that we're going to be fired someday, but because this life on earth is temporary. And as each day, as each hour, as each second ticks by, we, re- we go farther and farther toward that point when this life will be, will be ended and we'll be going toward, toward eternity. But you still have some time left. You also have control over the resources that somebody else has entrusted to your care. The Bible talks about us being managers of the stuff that God gives us. Is it really your money or your car or your house or your gifts and abilities? The Bible says these are things that God has given to you. One day they'll pass on and God will entrust them to somebody else, but right now God has entrusted you with some amazing things. And he asks you to use them to his glory. So the point today is not that you should be dishonest. The point is when you have a goal to use everything you have toward it. So thinking through what does that look like, in the church, can we use our resources to try to build relationships that are gonna last forever? Answer is Yeah. I suppose you could look at the church like this machine where you pour in resources and outcome spiritual blessings. Not that you can buy faith, but what do we do as we come together? It's we pour in all this time and effort and all our resources because when God's word is preached, and when we've got schools that teach our children, and when we send out missionaries to places like India, through all of those things, we're taking the wealth, the mammon of this world, and trying to use it for things that last forever. But it's not about us in the church only, it's also something about you in your life. Second service today, we're going to have a little baby brought again to the font and become God's child through baptism. As you as parents and grandparents look at the children God's placed in your lives, are there ways that you can use the stuff of this world to last forever? Yeah, how exactly that looks and it's not that you buy nothing but Bibles, and you buy other things too. But there are ways that you can spend your money, there are ways that you can spend your time where you get to sit down with those kids and be someone who points them to the things that last forever. And then looking out into the world, isn't part of being the light of the world the salt of the earth that we use the stuff God's given us to show God's love everybody around us? That they praise our Father in heaven after seeing how we use our things to serve others. And so the difference is not that unbelievers have mammon and and believers don't. It's God's given all of us worldly wealth. Jesus says we could learn a lesson from the people around us in how we use it. There are people in this world who use everything they've got to reach a goal that we look at and say that's empty. There are a lot of people who use mammon to serve mammon. God says to us today he entrusts us with mammon to not serve ourselves or stuff in this world but to put it to work serving and things that last forever. So as you've got some time and the clock is ticking as you're a manager of all the things that God has given you Use it all for him. Let me read again verse 9. This is the thought Jesus would leave with you today. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Amen.